0: You're listening to audio from Plankrow Harvest Church, located in Crossville, Tennessee. If you like more information about our church and its various ministries, please visit our website at www.plankrowharvest.org.
1: I'm so glad you're here. Uh, I will say that it's been very difficult for me for the last little while to get these, um, I mean, I, I believe this is what I'm called to do, and that's preach the word to you all, and and to study the word, I know that I expect you to be studying the word as well. But I know, particularly for me, for Sunday morning, I better have something because you're expecting something, and that's good that you come expecting. Um, it, it has been really difficult for me to focus on things and concentrate, and and uh, trying to put you know put different fires out, and in the, what's going on with Renetta and so on. Um, it's just so you're going to get what you get, and don't throw a fit, as they used to say. Um, I have spent time in this, and I'm, I'm, I believe I'm ready. I pray that the word we have today is the word that God has for us. I pray that His Spirit speaks through His word and that you hear clearly. If we saw First Peter there, I believe that if this was the only book that you had to learn who God is, who Christ is, His power, His authority, uh, how good He is to us, His care for us, so on, you would have sufficient in First Peter by itself, maybe just in chapter 1 by itself, or chapter 1 and 2. To receive Christ and to grow spiritually as a believer, it would it would very much satisfy what you would need. And I want you to understand that it's hard for us to grasp this because we've had the whole Bible. Many of you have been believers for years. Many of you have got to listen to Christian preaching on the radio or you've been in Christian churches. Um, and I don't want to say the word Baptist. I mean, it's not about being a Baptist. It's about being a believer in Christ. And you've heard good Christian biblical teaching by this person or that person and then you've, a, you've gone back and read the word, and maybe as you've gotten older or, or negative things have happened in your life, you've gotten where you've gone back to God's word, and you've been uh, restored to His word, restored to fellowship with him, through His word. But what you've got to understand is with these guys, um, it's so crazy. but literally, Peter, the book of Peter, the letter of first Peter, the letter of first, second Peter. They were to people that had no knowledge of God whatsoever. They could have been in Rome. They could have been in other uh, you know, countries, regions, or whatever. And then they get this little letter from one of the apostles. They may not have had a lot of understanding of the Old Testament, which many of us do not. Many people go to church for eons, tragically, and they only read of the amputated Bible. They've cut off the Old Testament, which is the meat of God's Word. It's over three-fourths of God's Word is in the Old Testament. And the New Testament is the commentary on the Old, and and Jesus, when he's talking about speaking about the Word, he's not talking about Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He's talking about Genesis, Exodus, through uh, Deuteronomy. He's talking about Joshua and Jonah and the prophets. He's speaking those words, and those people's ears are open and they're coming to new life by him preaching those words. So it's really a, a, a good thing for you to begin to read the Old Testament and recognize that everything that was written was written for our behalf. It was all written. All of God's Word is profitable, not just the New Testament. So here's these people that have nothing. They've heard of Messiah maybe. Maybe some missionary guy came by, gave them the scoop. And then Peter sends a letter, and they get this letter, and they see all these things. Or they get a letter from Paul in Corinth, and they read this letter. Or they get a letter from Paul in Ephesus or, or wherever they're at, or John, and they just get this little blip. And in that little two or three page letter, a little short message, they got to find Christ and they got to begin to grow spiritually and they got to separate themselves from the world and gain holiness. And here we got this whole book and we set it on the, on the floor to shore up the short leg of the table because it's so unimportant to, to us, but it was everything to them. And I pray that God's word becomes everything to you and that you recognize your need for it and you begin to gain a desire for it like you've never had before because this is all there is. Eternal life is all there is. This life is a fake. This is just the passing through, getting ready for the real life. And I pray that you receive that today as I gave it to you there. Let's just start at verse 2 in First Peter. I want to read First Peter chapter 1 again. Starting in verse 2, and I want to read through verse 5 in chapter 2. And I want you to look for a particular word. So a lot of times when I'm studying, different people study different ways. Many of you, maybe you don't study the word like you should. Maybe you don't read it that much, or maybe you prefer to listen to it. If I listen to it, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. If you can listen, take notes, that's good, that'll work. It's good to read it as well, since you have it, read it. Read it and listen to it even better. Read it, listen to it, and memorize it, better still. Meditate on it, better still. You know, the, the more we develop the word in ourselves, the better it's going to stand with us when we really need it. And so as you're reading the word, and in your, maybe you've got a little notebook. I do have one. I've filled up multiple notebooks with notes I've taken on things. Generally speaking, it's because I have to teach it again. or And I say have to. I, I, it's a very positive thing. It's not a negative thing at all. It's just the word. But I do enjoy teaching. I think that's what God's called me to do. Um, maybe you think differently, but I've got to take notes so that I can go back and see what God's spoken to in that. And a lot of times a little word, I can read something over and over and over, and a little word will pop out to me. I've read it multiple times, and somehow this little word will pop out. And when that happens, I'll do one of a couple things. I'll go back and kind of do a word study on that word. And I'll, or maybe I have an evaluation of the word as it is in context in the scripture, and I think, well, that just must mean this. And many times I've been proven wrong in that. I study the word, that particular word, and you go to Strong's Concordance or you go to the uh, whatever, the lexicon or whatever, and then you read on that word, and you discover that the word that you thought was the word was not the word. Like we heard this morning about hearing, the ears to hear, let them hear. And that word was the word to bore or to dig in. Or to open like a gate swinging open. It was an actual, it was not just, you know, hey, listen up. It was like, don't make me come over there with a shovel and dig a hole in the side of your head so you can hear. You're not hearing. You hear, but you're not hearing. And so when we get a word like that, we realize there's more to that word than we recognize. And we need to develop that so that we have a better understanding. And it's not for ourselves. And so that we can take it in and then we masticate on, we chew on it like a cow. We regurgitate it to someone else like a cow, and we and we spit it out to them so that they have the opportunity to grow as well. And so anyway, with Peter, I want, as we read this, I want you to look for these words. The word is you, your, us, me, my, mine, anything that personalizes this to you. I want you to look for that word, you, yours, yourself, and so on, us, and it really personalizes in First Peter 1, in the first part of chapter 2, actually all of First Peter, very different from how Paul preaches, by the way, and how Paul writes. Whenever Paul writes and he says about you, it's, I, I went back and checked just to make sure I'm not telling you no lies, but I went back and read like in some Corinthians, Ephesians, Galatians, Philippians, and usually when he uses the word you, it's kind of accusatory. But when Peter uses the word you, it's more of an encouragement that, you know, look at all these things you get. You get this, you get that. And Paul's like, you're a sinning, low-down, dirty dog, and you need to tighten it up. And such were some of you. You know, he goes down this list of sins, and he goes, and that's how you guys were, you know? So there's two different kinds of things. They're both, it's just two different personalities, two different natures. God using both. Both have a purpose. One's not more right than the other. Both are correct. But in Peter, very encouraging, when we see the use of the word you, yours, yourself, and us. Because so he's talking about us. He's not just talking about you, the us's of that day. He's talking about the us's of today. He's talking about all the us's that will be until Christ returns and takes us into eternity. And so with that, out, let's read this again. And, um, and look for the word you there, okay? So to the elect, verse 2, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Christ, Jesus Christ, grace to you, And peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. And I want to put you right here in verse 5, you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice ...of this salvation the prophets have inquired and searched carefully, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. To them it was revealed that not to themselves but to us they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels desire to look into. Therefore... "'Gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, "'and rest your hope fully upon the grace "'that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. "'As obedient children, not conforming yourselves "'to the former lusts as in your ignorance, "'but as he who called you is holy, "'you also be holy in all your conduct, "'because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. "'And if you call on the Father, "'who without partiality judges according to each one's work, "'conduct yourselves throughout the time "'of your stay here in fear.' knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ and as of the Lamb without blemish and without spot. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. You, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit, In sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the word of God, which lives and abides forever, because all flesh is grass, and all the glory of man is the flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby if indeed you have tasted that the lord is gracious coming to him as a living stone rejected indeed by men but chosen by god and precious you also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to god through christ jesus verse 9 but you are a chosen generation a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but now the people of God, who have not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Man, what a word. So if I went down through there, if I went back through the list, now that we've read all that, and and you didn't catch all the U's in yours, I'm sure, and maybe you went back through, maybe go back through this week and and take your pencil or pen and underline every time it says you. A vast majority of the yous are super positive. It says grace to you and peace. So grace combined with peace initially in verse 2, verse 4, an inheritance for you. Uh, Verse 5, it says you are kept, reserved in heaven for you, an inheritance, incorruptible. You, who are kept by the power of God through faith. We've talked about that a lot. Verse 6, you have been grieved by trials, yet you greatly rejoice. Verse uh, 7, what did it say there? That the genuineness of your faith, your faith being genuine. Verse 8, it begins to talk about your love. Your love for Christ um, because of his revelation towards you. And you believe in that. Verse 9, the end of your faith salvation of your soul verse 10 grace that would come to you verse 11 uh searching what the time the spirit who was in them was indicating again uh that amplification of the the good things of christ that came to you testified beforehand before you even were a speck in your daddy's eyes they used to say he had this in place for you verse 12 the gospel was preached to you verse 13 therefore Get yourself ready. Um, it also says, rest your hope in Jesus Christ. Verse 14, conform yourself versus your old ignorant self that didn't know any better. Begin to act like the new self, the new man, the old man being killed and a new man rising to life. Verse 15, be you holy. Be holy. Continue in holiness. In verse 16, verse 17, you, it says, be fearful. Be fearful of the Father conducting yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear verse 18 you were redeemed by the precious blood of the lamb in verse 19 verse 18 begins the idea verse 19 concludes it verse 20 it was manifest for you he indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world and was made manifest in these last times for you very personal your faith verse 21 your hope again uh, believing in God and his resurrection. Verse 22, your purified souls, since you have purified your souls and obeying the truth through the Spirit. If you went to verse 20 and kind of circled you at the very last word, it says manifest in these last times for you, you could make a little arrow down to that verse 21, you, who, you, who. And then verse 21, where it says, so that your faith and hope are in God, you could make another arrow to that word so, and also that another arrow down to purified your souls and obeying the truth. It's all the same you. You do all those things. All those things have been done for you. Verse 22, purified souls and obedience with love. And it's a certain kind of love. It says a fervent and pure-hearted love that you possess now as it's been given to you. you it's manifested to you. It's poured into you. It's uh, magnified in you. And now it's poured out by you. Verse 23, you now born again through the word of God, which is eternal. Verse twenty five, the gospel was preached and it was completed for you. First and in two, verse five, it says, You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood. Each one of those is a you in front of it, you living stones, you, a spiritual house, you a holy priesthood. For you to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. And then in verse nine, it says, You, a chosen generation, you, a royal priesthood, you, a holy nation. You, God's own special people, you who he called out of darkness and into his marvelous light, you who were once not a people, that you know what that word is? It's an ugly word. It's the word bastard. You who are once a bastard, you didn't know who your father was, now you're a son. Wow, that's a big deal. That's a big deal. You. So look at all those you's and all that you are in Christ and salvation and grace and his mercy and protected by him and reserved in eternity for him and with him. And that being the case, why do you act like you act? (laughs) Why do we act as bad as we act? If all these positive things have been put together for us, why do we act like we act? Let's go to the end first and then we'll go back to the beginning. But go to 24 and 25, is super negative sounding after this positive list I read you. All flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of the grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. You want to talk about a scripture that's all over the Bible is that one. Do a little word search on that little paragraph right there. It's in Psalm, it's in Job, it's in Peter. Uh, there's parts of it in uh, um, Matthew, I think. There, I mean, it's all over the Bible. When you see something that's all over the Bible... You should spend some time looking at it. I, I did a... We, we can do it down, down the road someday, but um, I did a, a thing on that one time and I got to teaching on it and I thought, man, everywhere I look, it's this little paragraph or parts of this. The grass with, grass withers, the flower fades, the word the Lord endures forever. You're like, why does this keep being used? If it keeps being used from Genesis to Revelation, you better figure out what it means because it has application to you for today. Anyway... But the very best thing that a man can produce or be, at least in himself, is this quickly rooting grass that shoots up, develops a head, some sort of beauty, and then begins to wither and fall and falls to the ground, and then it decays, or the birds eat it, or the bugs eat it, or the fire burns it, and that's all it is. It's a very short period of time here on earth. The guy that lives to be 100 years old, he'll tell you that his life went by like that. It's not a long time on the earth. This can't be all there is. If this is all there is, we should have done a better job with the years that we had. We should anyway. But, uh, but the reality is this isn't all there is. And it's a really negative thing of life that is death. Um, but in the death, there's a great positive. Because in death, some men will live. And I say some because that's how it is. What about those that go to hell? Aren't they alive forever? Well, yeah, maybe. The Bible describes the hell-bound man as dead even while he lives. It's in 1 Timothy 5, 6. It's really talking about a widow woman who's uh, too much of a busybody and, and living her life for herself in the church. And they say it's better for a widow to remarry if they're under 55 or whatever the age is. It's better for her to remarry rather than become a busybody, one who's, um, whose life is about doing and being and being noticed and, and so on like that. Um but it's the same idea. It's just a person, a man or a woman who is living for this life alone. And they just—they don't really have any hope or desire for a future in, in eternity with God or with Christ or because of Christ. They're just living for themselves, living for the now. It's the fool in his heart who says, no, God. It's the same person. He knows there's a God. He just says no to him. He doesn't want to do what God tells him to do. He doesn't want to have love for his neighbor. He wants love for himself. He wants to be recognized himself and who he is. And uh, he wants to be cared for in a certain way and loved in a certain way. I want to be loved, but I want you to love me exactly like I want to be loved. And I'm not going to be satisfied with the kind of love that you're trying to give me. I only want my kind of love that you give me. And it's a very selfish love. It's not a love that that takes in and in returns. It's a love that only takes in and it takes in and takes in. And that kind of love makes a narcissistic person or a bitter person. Because no one can satisfy, no man no woman can satisfy the kind of love that we really 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 want they just can't it's the apology thing you know they the guy says something and the media jumps on him and he sends an apology out and everybody's like well that, he didn't even really mean that that wasn't a real apology well he said he was sorry you told him to say you're sorry he said he was sorry they don't want sorry they want him to be sorry like they feel he should be sorry it's the same problem You say, well, I love you. The husband tells the wife, I love you. And the wife says, well, if you love me, you do the dishes more often. He does the dishes, and she goes, well, you don't really love me because you didn't do the dishes that great. Like, look, woman, you told me to do the dishes. I did the dishes. Well, if you really love me, you'd do X and so. You'd bring me presents, you'd bring me flowers, bring me cards, write me love notes. And you can do all those things, but you'll never be able to satisfy the love that the person really, truly wants because they don't know what they want. Only the Father and through Christ can give the love that this person wants and desires. And when you try to meet them in a physical or a material way, you can only, you know, the love language saying there's a lot of truth to that, there's no doubt, but there's a limit to the amount of love that we can produce because we're men and women. Women, you got the same flaws, but we just can't give the love that we really want to give. We 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 always hold back some love in in a desire to be safe or to be protected, but God's love is abundant. It's overflowing. It's equivalent to every one of His emotional uh, states. is equivalent to every uh, one of His every type of personality trait that we would ascribe to God. It's equivalent in His power to His authority, to His justice, to His judgment, to His anger, to His wrath to his decisiveness, to his omnipotence, to his uh, omnipresence, it's equivalent to that. And you as a person cannot match that kind of love in another person. However, it doesn't say you get away with not providing that love to another person. It's tough. Be gracious to one another. When they say they love you, just accept it as they love you. They love you as best as they're capable of loving you. And don't put limits on their love or restrictions on their love Or definitions, if you really love me, you would do this. You would not act this way. They're loving you as best as they can love you. They're a broken person. We're not God. We're not even little gods. We though created in the image of Christ. We are not Christ. We are broken and fallen people. I mean, in that love thing that's in here, only God can provide this kind of love, but he gives it to us in abundance so much so that that we can't, even hardly receive all the love that He gives us, because we're not capable of understanding it in this form. We will in eternity, but for now we just grow in that. Just like we grow in grace, we grow in sanctification. We can grow in love. I know that I love better now, my wife and my kids, uh, than I did when I first got out of the Marine Corps. My my love thing was broken. It really was, and so I, it took a long time to truly to truly learn to love. And in that, I know I'm not completed in that. You aren't either. You can be a very loving person. Some ladies, you know, they're particularly loving and hugging and, and emotional like that, better than others. But in some other frame in their personality, they're broken just like you are. They may be more demonstrative in love. They've got the same problem. But this love thing, it's a big deal. So this person that only wants to receive love as they desire love as they accept love, that person becomes very narcissistic. You've got to love me like I want to be loved. And that's a broken part in that person. If the only thing they develop in themselves is receiving love from other people, receiving gifts from other people, I'm only happy if this happens in my life, that person is a dissatisfied person. They will never be satisfied on earth or in eternity because they've never made the connection to the Most High God. They don't have a desire for a future in eternity with the Father, they want the love. They want it now. They want everything now. And there's no place for them in eternity. Therefore, they live the very most while they're here. And at their deathbed, they're so they're full of life themselves here, but they have no, they have no nothing in the account in eternity. And so they have to make the jump from the deathbed into eternity. And uh, and I don't really want to speculate on what hell is like for that because it's not a living that I want to live shouldn't be one you want to live so for us today it's not our concern it's not our concern whether or not what aspect of life there is in hell it talks about people speaking in hell the Bible does and and, um, where the worm never dies and so on screaming and gnashing of teeth the outer darkness and all these terrible things unquenchable fire and apparently there's people there there's demonic beings there there's spiritual beings there I don't want to be there. I don't want to dwell on the things that are there. Though Jesus did speak a lot on hell, the encouragement was, you don't want to be there. I want to be with him both now and eternity. Peter is so motivating in that. He doesn't, did I recall, I could be wrong, I'll go back and read it again before I say it too much, but I don't recall hell being mentioned in that paragraph. He's talking to saved people we're talking to saved people, then we need to talk about the pure milk of the word and growing in that. So for us today, I pray that at some point you've given yourself to the most high God. I pray that you're growing in love as you become to understand who he is and his love for you. It begins to develop the love muscle that's in your spirit, whatever that is, begins to work it out and develop it where you can use it to begin to love the way you've been loved by God, not by other people. The love you receive from people is broken love. It's it is uh, conditional. Mark loves me. He loved me so much. I had some nice glasses. And he kept squeezing me and broke my glasses. I had to buy more glasses. Quit loving me so much, Mark. <laughs> he's a he's he's a hugger. It's good. It's good. It's a good it's a good thing. Not everybody receives love that way. I'm sure I don't know about Mark, but I mean people have to grow into that thing. A lot of people don't want to be touched at all. Some people. You've got to grow in that. And so to follow the Lord in spirit and in truth and therefore gain this tremendous contract of blessings in First Peter, that's what we need to be working for. Working in. You're not working to be loved more. The more you do for God, I'm going to tell you, here's his love. It's a straight line. You can do all you want. And the love stays the same. It's full and it's abundant. And you can't do enough to make him love you more. He loves you most. Do all the jazz you want he already loves you as much as he can love you There's no more love there. There's not possible to have more love there. He already loves you to that extent What you got to figure out is it's not by works of righteousness, which I have done But according to his mercy that he saved me personalize it By the washing and regeneration renewing of the holy spirit. He does everything He knows you're a love slacker. He knows And he loves you anyway. His love is unconditional our love is conditional, depends on people treat me back and if they like me good today or if they like me bad tomorrow, I either like them or love them in relation to how they treated me. And it's, God is not that way. In all this, while all flesh is grass means that we have a limited shelf life, the time on earth as a believer is secured by all of these you-oriented gifts that's right here in chapter 1. And I know I've mentioned before what a great opportunity you've had. If you've heard the gospel of Christ, which I know you have because you're here, If you've heard the gospel of Christ and you responded to it, it said uh, uh, to them, it was revealed, uh, verse 12, but to us, they were ministering the things which have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. The gospel was preached to you. You received the Holy Spirit at that time. You received Christ. The Holy Spirit was poured into you and you received God's love there. Other people haven't heard it yet or they've hardened their hearts to it or they've rejected it or they failed to respond to it, somehow missed how critical it is to receive Christ and they haven't even made it to the signing up part of the agreement to be able to understand all of this contract of good things that was given. And we have these blessings on earth, but we also possess this large future account of blessings that are also listed here. Both are here. Um... It's, it's uh, I don't know where you're at in your retirement plan. Come up here, Ed, and tell us where you're at in your retirement plan. No, everybody's got their own deal, right? They got a 401K or a whatever, all the jazz, you know, the, the savings account for kids to go to college or the Roth IRA or whatever you have. And then we have life insurance. Some, some do, some do. Some of those things are, exce- or even Social Security, some of those things are accessible now, but you've got to be old and gray to get them. Some of them are accessible right away, if we had a CD or something that was a short-term money-handling uh, tool, you know, you could access it right away. Some are kind of medium-term, like 401Ks and the IRAs and things like that. And then some of them are like life insurance policies. you got to die to get it. Actually, you don't get it. Somebody else gets it. you got to die and somebody else gets it. And it's the same way with these blessings that are here in this First Peter verse. The only problem is these... The only positive... is not a problem. Eternal blessings are the only savings that make really any economical sense because you get to use them now as much as you want and you get them again in heaven. You don't run out of them. I can have a 401k. It could have $2 million in it. I don't. I should. It would be nice. But if I did, I could tap it by exorbitant living, by, by buying boats and jazz I don't need and extra houses and cars. and I could. You could blow through $2 million nowadays. It wouldn't be that tough. That wouldn't be tough. Taxes. You know, whatever, medical bills, whatever you gotta spend it on, you could blow through it like that. But the the idea with God's policy that He's got right here for you is it's spend all you want now and know there's a thousand times more in eternity waiting on you in this account. And this is God's way of accounting, it's different than ours. So, um uh God says, I'll give you everything you need up front, and I'll give you everything else you need, and you can't even fathom in eternity. If you went to Ephesians 3, 20 and 21, now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think according to the power that works in us. I saw this commercial. It was really funny. And it's, so you got the, the the lawyer, and he's reading the, uh, what's it called? The will. He's reading the will. And uh, mind like a steel trap, people. You're working with a genius there. Anyway, uh, he's reading the will, and you got like young buck right here in the front, got the nerd glasses. He's fooling around on his phone like young people do, and all these other people, you can tell their family kind of surrounding. They're listening, wanting their cut. This guy's a multi-bazillionaire, right? And it ends, the commercial kind of gets going, and you get the idea, and he goes, and to my nephew, I leave my plants, and the nephew raises his eyes he's like, oh, great, and there's all these green, goofy-looking plants around in the room, and he's like, oh, he's about ready to leave. And he he starts to stand up and he goes, I leave my my fabrication plant and I leave my new car parts plant and I leave my furniture plant and my clothing textile plant. And he's like, turns around, he's like, yeah, (laughs) in your face, you know, yeah, I got all the plants, you know, that's, that's us with God in eternity. We're thinking he's talking about plants and he's talking about everything. And we're all tangled up in trying to hold on to some little thing here instead of recognizing that every good and great and wonderful gift comes down from the Father of lights, in whom there is no shadow of turning. Every good thing comes from him, both now and in eternity. And there's an account there that's enormous, and it's packed full of goodies for you, and you have access to them today. If your faith, your obedience is on Christ, you're doing what he's calling you to do, man... The doors open; it's all you have access to both, both now and into eternity. Go back to the list there in First Peter. I, mean, I, I got to look at the list again. I wrote it down, but I was just thinking: here's the list—grace, an inheritance, the fact that you're kept. Emily mentioned that this morning about being kept. Um, you know, worried about her kids—are they kept? Yeah, they're kept. They're kept. They accepted Christ, and it's not about—it's not the baptism that saves or the magical prayer that they prayed. Is that Christ does what He says He's going to do, regardless of what you do, He's going to do. It doesn't give you the license to sin. You should be ashamed of your sinful behavior. It doesn't give you a license to sin. May it never be, says Paul. But it's going to happen because we're failed humans. But Christ told the woman at the well, or told the woman caught in adultery, "Go and sin no more." Told the man he healed from by the pool, "Go and sin no more." lest something worse befall you. Stop sinning. And in your stopping sin, as much as you can, as much as is possible with you, you you have all these things either way. It's hard to fathom. Uh, you can lose part of your inheritance just like a wayward son would. There's crowns and things that are assigned to us in heaven. You could use, lose part of that by your wayward behavior. But you're not losing eternal life. If you're his, you're his. He owns you. You're his slave. It's not a servant. You're his slave. He took you to the post, and he drove the nail through your ear, and he says, you're mine. Now, there's wayward slaves who try to run off and do their thing, and that's wrong of the slave. But he's good. His grace, his inheritance, you're kept. Yeah, you've been grieved by trials, but it says you greatly rejoice in those. Negative things going to happen. Guess what? You're alive on earth the earth is a dying planet in a sense that that because of the fall things don't go perfectly all the time you love you have a genuineness to your faith you recognize the end of your faith is your salvation you've had the gospel preached to you grace that would come to you and it goes all the way down to about verse 13 before you start seeing like he gives you all these positives I noticed and it's around verse 13 that he starts calling for obedience it's amazing. He doesn't even say you got to do these certain things in this first half of, of 1 Peter right there, chapter 1. It doesn't come to the second half. Therefore, gird yourself as obedient children. Quit acting in ignorance in your former lust like you used to. Stop being a dummy. That's the NDV right there. That's all that is. Quit going and living the old way. You're set apart. Be holy. He gives you all these things, the salvation, the grace, and the hope, and the faithfulness, and Christ, and the resurrection from the dead, and an inheritance, and keeping, and genuineness of faith better than silver and gold. He gives you all of that before he starts getting on them about their obedience. That's a good father. That's better than we did. We, we start, my cousin was here the other day, and his little kid was being squirrely, and so he, he tells mama to put the little kid on the phone, Zoom calls, Or no FaceTime or whatever. We never had anything like that when our kids were little. If the kids were squirrely, they got you. Just wait till dad gets home, and you're going to get half killed, you know. But the but in this case, the mom calls him with the FaceTime. Talk to your son. She can barely take a breath. (laughs) She's all tore up, and he's like, "Hey, daddy." (laughs) And the dad starts, you know, "Son, you know better than to do this and to do this." And to do this and to do this. And the kid was lost by the first or second. You know better. He was already lost. I mean, he's only five or whatever he was. God doesn't, I mean, God gave us all the stuff and then he says, obey. That's amazing. How much better behaved children should we be when he gives us every good and perfect gift and then he says, hey, you know, be obedient. That's a, it's an amazing way that Peter puts it. Paul does not do it that way. Anyway, uh, you be fearful of the Father. Why? Because He gave me all these things and I want to honor Him. But also, He doesn't handle the sword in vain. He doesn't carry the rod in vain. He will beat you. And by many stripes, you'll be brought to reconciliation with Him. He chastens those that He loves. If you're getting beat, maybe go back to the book. Maybe stop what you're doing. Maybe look and make sure there's not overt sin in your life. If you're taking these licks and you can't figure out why, return to the Father and say, Father, I, I don't. what am I doing? Return to Christ. If you confess your sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Stop sinning. He's your faith, your hope, your resurrection, purifies your soul. He gives you this love, this fervent, pure-hearted love that you do not possess in your own, whatever, natural state. You've got the good cop, bad cop thing going on there with uh, um, Peter and Paul. But they're both speaking the same truth. The goal is the same. They're both saying, you can trust what God is going to do in you. You can trust him. Because look what all he's done for you. I can trust him because he's carried me thus far. I know that he's going to take care of me from here on out because he took care of me from zero to here. I can trust him. I can't be trusted but he can be trusted. I mean as children, we're just this old, we're just like a kid. We're just bigger and hairier or or less hairy, whatever. But we're we're just we're children. We don't have the mind of Christ, but we need to gain the mind of Christ by walking in his way. So we got these blessings on earth. We got blessings in eternity. So let's finish with this verse right here. It says in 1 Peter 2. Uh, three through five. I want to read that part again. Indeed, well, start at verse two. As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word, that you may grow thereby. These are new believers. In many ways, we're new believers. We've heard the word, we've read the word in our life, but we haven't delved into it. We haven't made it ours. This this thing that I'm learning in Peter and in the Psalms is making God mine. He's my God. I, I had a really nice handout, and if I think there's some left. I don't know if you can ask Olson there, but we can make a copy of of God and his re, and His name and his relationship to people. It's excellent. Our deliverer, our fortress, our strength, our our deliverer in time of trouble, our God. He says, my God, El, El, the Almighty. His name is God, El, the Almighty. He can do everything. Why would I run from him? Why would I turn my back on him? He's going to take care of everything according to his riches and glory. He, Both Paul and Peter have the same goal, and that is for us to grasp what is the height, the depth, the width, and the length of the love of God which is in Christ Jesus, and it ends with, for you, for me. That's the game. That's the plan. Those words are describing us as a people of God, it says, who once were not a people, but now are the people of God you once were not a people of God. Well, God created me. He must love me. He loves man in a way, in a sense, but men in their natural state are enemies of God. He does tell us to love our enemies. So we love our enemies. God loves his enemies, but I will tell you that God will kill his enemies. God will protect those that are his, and you need to know that. It says that these are a bunch of redeemed people. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious, coming to him as a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious, you, a living stone, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. You, verse 9, a, ro- a chosen generation, royal priesthood, holy nation, his own special people. That you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his glorious light, into his marvelous light. What are a bunch of redeemed people supposed to do? What are they supposed to do with themselves? Well, it says they're supposed to build up a spiritual house. First, got to recognize that you're a living stone. The stones that the temple were made of, that Peter and John were like, man, have you seen our temple lately? It's really nice. Have you seen the renovations? we got all these nice stones. And Jesus says, not one of these stones will be stacked on the top of each other. When he gets done, there'll be no need for this place anymore. No need for this place of sacrifices. But you're going to be living stones. Those were dead stones. Those stones didn't move themselves. They didn't place themselves there. They didn't stack themselves. A man, a live man, came and put them there. As a living stone, you're a stone, very stable, very durable, and you have the ability to move around and be alive and then it says as living stones we are going to be built up a spiritual house so we got all these living stones right here and we can stack you we'd have an interesting looking stack if we just started stacking them here you know and make that puzzle you know it's kind of like a native stone out here. It's different sizes and shapes different spiritual gifts and as those stones are built together you end up with this spiritual house that has great spiritual capability in the community in our families in our lives um, as they come, encourage one another and, and build up one another minister to one another. And they act like high priests. How do high priests act? The high priest had a standard that was much higher than even the Levitical priesthood. The Levitical priesthood was high. The high priest was higher. He had to go meet with God face to face. His garments had to be perfectly clean. They were changed very often even in the doing of his duties because he couldn't sweat in them. And I don't know if you know this, but the Middle East is what they call hot. And they're saying, don't sweat. Go in there, but don't sweat. Sweat is sin. Get the sweat off you. And then they had to sling blood around. You can't have the blood on you because that's sin. Get the blood off you. And so they do the thing and they change the clothes. They do the thing and they change the clothes. And each garment is worth ever how many thousand dollars. Very valuable garments made out of linen. Which linen is a really difficult process to make garments out of. It's a... It's a kind of grass, and you beat it and thrash it, and it's flax, and they beat it and thrash it and dry it and thrash it some more and dry it and stretch it and comb it, and eventually they can weave it into clothing. That's that's cool. Uh, it's not easy. It's not easy to walk holy. It's not easy to be set apart. But it says, because I am holy, you be holy. In verse fifteen, it doesn't say most of the time. It says in all your conduct. That's a lot of holiness. That's not Sunday morning holiness. That's all the time holy. You who are once dead, he made alive. He made you into a living stone. You were a dead stone. And you do walk around amongst dead people, but you're an alive people. Begin to walk as a living person, and in that living person, be holy in everything you do, in all your conduct. It says, this has been a hard sentence for me, if you know me well, if you've hung around with me, I I like to joke around, I like to have fun like to tell jokes. He says he will take every idle word into account. Every idle word. How many idle words do we say every day? How many times does anger flare up and we spout some little thing out that we wish we could take back? How many times have we heard the joke and we shouldn't pass it on, but we do anyway? How many times do we say idle words that just shouldn't be said? How many times have we sworn on something we shouldn't swear by? How, just in the idle words alone, I am doomed Every idle word will be taken into account. And then James talks about keeping the tongue and how dangerous the tongue is and so on. In your tongue alone, you have a dangerous sword in your mouth. As a holy person, it should not be used in the way it is. Be holy in all your conduct. Remember, you're a chosen generation. You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation. a royal. How does royalty act? When we see royalty misbehave like we watch the English royalty, we see the Queen Mother and how how, um, what's the word, how much character she had in her person and how she was very careful in her demeanor and what she said. And then we see her son, who's kind of a slacker, and we see her other son, who's been caught up in this child sex abuse scandal, and we see her grandsons that demean the way of, of holiness amongst the kingdom livers there in England. And we think well, it, it's shocking, right? It's, it's an affront to us to see royalty act in a common way much greater for us as believers of the kingdom of heaven once not a people but now a people of God when we act in an unholy way it reflects on the most high God that we don't care about our status as royalty and it says be holy and be holy all the time in all your conduct so our savior master creator um, he set aside all these special ordinances in place for you for me And so the question is, are you taking advantage of these, both the temporal ones? Do you remember these things? When I, remember Paul, I don't do the things I should do, and I do the things that I don't want to do, because that's what we are. And in those moments, do I go back and think about this list about being royalty and holy and special? He chose me from before the foundation of the earth. He chose me of all the people. He chose you before you mock at me and what I don't have. He, He chose you too. He knows about your googly eye. He knows about what you look like in your birthday suit. He knows about your bad knee and your bad back. He he knows about your evil mind and your wicked tongue. And he chose you anyway. And he's planning on using you. Because you were not one of his people. But now you are. And he loves you. And he loves you the way God loves you. Which is abundantly and greater than the way any man can. There was this, uh, back in the day there was a Corvette. I'm sure they still do it this way. And you got two keys with the Corvette. You got the power key and you got the regular key. So if son is going to take girlfriend to the prom in the Corvette, you give him the the low and slow key. But if dad's going to drive it like he stole it, you use the power key. You don't let son drive with the power key. Keep that one for dad. And the power key turns the computer on in the Corvette and unlocks its power so that you can drive it like a maniac. This is the key right here. I want max acceleration in cornering when I'm driving. If I can't have that, I might as well have just a Toyota Camry or something. I want the power, man. And this, this list right here is the power key for the life of the believer. Both now and in eternity. And you have access to both. But you gotta know what the keys are. You gotta know where they're at. I can... Let me tell you... Let's see. I'm gonna tell you one terrible story on myself. This boy had a Uh, it was a really fast car and he'd been wanting to race me in the car that I had for a while I ended up doing a construction job at their house and foolishly they left the key to this boy's car there (laughs) and so I took it out for a little performance test and I'm going to tell you I'm glad I didn't race the guy that thing was stout but I had access to the power key (laughs) I took it for a little performance drive don't leave hot rod keys around where Dale can get them I have a, a lust problem there but uh that um, these promises right here, these are the promises, these are the keys to the promises for cornering in the Christian life. And all you got to do is pick them up. They're right here. Read through them and begin to apply them to your life. To hear the word on a Sunday and to go out on Sunday afternoon and live like hell, like you came in before you came on Sunday, is a shame and a tragedy. You should take the word, receive the word, and go away glad, filled with the Spirit, filled with the word, ready to proclaim it to someone else that you can lead them to the throne of grace. Are you living like a special person? Are you living like royalty? Are you living set apart? If not, why not? Remember, you're a living stone. You're not a dead stone. You're alive. You who were once dead in your trespasses and sin, you made alive in God in Christ Jesus. You. Anyway, live as a living stone can. Let's take a minute. I think we have a song we're gonna sing here. Power in the blood, right? Wherever you went, there she is. Um, Let's let's just while you're sitting there, you know, we can pray for a moment there. Let's just consider where we're at. Ask God to forgive us of our trespasses as we've sinned against Him. That's what David said. I know you've sinned against other people. You've harmed people. You've said stuff about people. Whatever. You've done what you did. But David in Psalm 51, he says, Against you and you alone have I sinned. Get that straight between you and the Father first so that you can hear his voice like when you first believed. Let's do that first and then we'll pray. Uh, Well, maybe we'll play and then we'll pray. Let's take just a moment, just be silent before the Lord.
0: the burdens of sin there's power